One of the main reasons I love Views so much is it doesn't give a crap what you do. It's like, here's what you have to work with, take it or leave it. If you look at Silicon Valley companies alone, you probably won't find any high-profile view usage. Although I think it's going to explode once people realize, hey, this is really, really easy. Most of the people we hire don't necessarily know view. For the first week, every day, they meet and they say, what's your direction you're going? Because you can go in any direction. You can just really take off with view. After a couple of weeks, they get it and they just like take off and they go in that direction every time. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. So welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Ben Mashenko. Hi, I'm a developer at Netlify, and I work on Netlify CMS, which is a great big React app. It's basically the editing side of WordPress without the rest of it, so you can use a static site generator with it. Cool. And then on the other side of this call is Jacob Schatz. That's right, yeah. So I am one of the lead front-end developers at GitLab, and uh, I was the first front-end developer at GitLab. And GitLab, uh, if you don't know, it is a way to host Git on your own server. We also have GitLab.com, where you can store your own repositories for free, which is really great. Cool. I didn't realize you were one of the first, and now you're a lead front-end engineer at GitLab. How long did the GitLab start? So GitLab started a while ago. We really started moving along. In 2013, the product was split into GitLab CE and GitLab EE. And it was originally all free and open source, but then it split in around 2013 and 2014. We were totally open and we got some more uh, seed funding and all that stuff. So I joined in the end of 2015 as the 29th employee. Okay, that's still pretty early on. I know you guys are distributed. I know, where are you at in the U.S.? I'm in Washington, D.C. And the rest of my team, we have uh, 17 front-end engineers and the rest of them are all over. We have people in Turkey, in Lima, in Portugal. We have people all over the place. And how big is the uh, the actual company as a whole now? Company as a whole, I totally lost count. I believe we're over 200 people at this point. Or if we're not, we're very close to 200 people at this point. Nice. Yeah, I've heard of GitLab for a while. I have a GitLab account. I have one project on there. And uh, it was always like mentioned as like the other thing that you can you can host your code on, um, but only within the last year I've actually used it on a regular basis and taken it seriously. Um, so it's nice to have, see another place to actually host your code, which is awesome. Yeah, I I originally had uh, all my code on GitHub, and then I had it on Bitbucket because that was free, and then I started using GitLab just because the UI was so much better. And I thought to myself, hey, this is an awesome product. I would love to work for them and make this thing even better. So now I just keep everything on. Uh, GitLab, just because for me it's a much better experience. Yeah, nice. And then you also can complain to the person on that team that has does not give you the right experience. Yeah, I can fix it myself because the code is in my hands, but also anybody else could fix it too because it's open source, which is you know the benefit of open source. I was going to ask that too. So you work on the, I guess, is the CE the open source side? Yeah, yeah. I guess E is the enterprise? Right. Is that how that works? Right, so you have the CE version and you have the EE version. Uh, the CE and the EE are the same in the base, 
So the CE is the base of the EE. The EE is certain enterprise features that a lot of business customers like, especially we have some customers that have a tremendous amount of developers working on GitLab, and that's more focused towards those people. But I work on both products, the CE, the EE. I also, we also, the front end winds up doing the homepage and we style the blog and all that stuff. So yeah, we do, we do everything. Cool. And then uh, the reason I had you on is because you guys, you, I think you actually specifically wrote the blog post about you guys choosing Vue as your front end framework. Yes. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. But before we get into that, what did you guys use before Vue? So it's a really interesting thing. I came on as the first front end engineer. And when I came on, uh, I kind of peeked through all the front end code. And it's Ruby developers who are really, really good at front end stuff. But I would say that their focus is Rails. Um, so they were doing everything in the Rails way, which is basically you allow Rails to, if you send on a form, you say remote true, it'll automatically make a form like Ajaxy and stuff like that, you know, changing assignees and all that stuff. It did it all with this Rails sort of Ajax way. And they had it added in jQuery in there and they added in the little jQuery snippets to make sense in the places that it made sense. And what I immediately saw was like, okay, we can continue to do this. It totally works. It was it was separated really nicely. It was written beautifully. But, you know, if you want to scale and do really, really cool things like we're starting to do now, like we've already done and we're continuing to do, then you really need to, you know, get something a little meatier in there. Yeah, and I think a lot of people around that time too, uh, 2015, even a little bit prior, started making the experiment with actually adding other frameworks to their Rails code. I, I went through two companies between then and now who added new frameworks to their Rails code, and I kind of moved into like the future of the web or the modern web, which is like no longer shoving jQuery wherever you think it might fit. So it's cool to hear that. Talk to me about how you guys uh, moved into, I guess, approached using Vue and, and why. Okay, so in the beginning, like I said, I was sitting there fixing bugs and, you know, we hired a couple other front-end engineers and the, the, it was like three or four of us that we were just sitting there fixing bugs, like no big deal. Uh, and we could have continued going on our merry way fixing bugs. And there was a lot of stuff to just clean up. There's plenty of stuff to fix. But I remember there's an issue page where you're like looking at a single issue. And I wanted to make that page Ajax where you close and it doesn't refresh the page. And I remember writing all of this tremendous amounts of code just to get the close button and open, which is, you know, I've done that a million times, totally legit. And me personally, I've done tons of Angular, I've done tons of React, I've done tons, uh, and Vue had just started to be a really new thing. I think it was still in beta when I joined. And so it, it was like, there's this painful thing and we can continue to do it, or we can definitely improve. Now, keep in mind, GitLab is a humongous project. So you can't just you know, there's that typical like junior developer thing where it's like they say, I want to rewrite everything. And I'm sure that we've all done that at a point. You know, you come in, you're like, oh, this code is so crappy. But you don't realize there's all these decisions that were being made in the first place to get to this point. So, you know, it's not just a, let's stop everything and rewrite everything because we have to continue, you know, moving forward with what we're doing. So that's when I was like, OK, so let's see what's even possible. It wasn't just like one day I was like, view and you know, it was a very long and, you know, a big decision that we had to make. Cool. And I, I read a little bit of the blog post too as well. But with Vue.js, the, the actual API itself is kind of really small. So you were able to, did you guys approach it by just styling one thing in Vue at first and then kind of see how it looked at there? I, I know you mentioned the issues page 
Is that your your first uh, foray into view? Yeah. So what we did is I actually did a complete different side project in view. I took a big idea and I just made it in view, and I made it as hard as possible too. I I tried to see like. Because, you know, there's that point where it's like, okay, it's easy to write a credit application, but what's going to happen when the rubber hits the road and you're like getting into lots and lots of code? So I think I took like a month and just did a little side thing. And, you know, it was a tremendous amount of code. And I was like, this thing scales really, really well. There's like not a problem that I need to solve. You know, you get to that point where you need to solve certain problems at scale. And it was all already answered. It was clearly thought out. So that's what I did. And then we took what is now the Trello-like issue boards, where you can you can have those issue boards that look like Trello. We just decided we'll just write that in view. So that was our first thing that we wrote in view. And the main reason we did it was to like get rid of all of that spaghetti code and just because like immediately you write view and it's just like, you know, the answer is like right there. That you know, it's really, really easy. The answer's right there, and it's just like very simple. So then we just have since just pointed at something and we're like, That would be really cool. Now, we don't rewrite everything. If it already works and we're not going to change anything and there's no reason to necessarily do it, we won't rewrite it in view. We're not just rewriting in view for the heck of it because the jQuery code is tested. You know, it's fully tested. It works. There's no reason to do that. But, for example, we just made the issue titles and the issue description real time. So that's a perfect opportunity to put it in view. We do, we're now doing a lot of things in real time. So we're just like, okay, do it in view. But then you also have to say the back end has to be ready for view. And they also have to be ready for real time. So getting to that point of like, can we do real time? And not just like real time. We have like a ton of users. If all of them are, if we're going to do a pinging, are we going to do websites? So all that had to be figured out first before you just like say, let's do real time and we DDoS the server or something like that. Cool. One of the things you mentioned in the webcast that you did after the blog post was that kind of the way you've used it so far is that you have a bunch of little single-page apps instead of one big one. Has that kind of stayed that way as you guys have uh, used it over the past few months? Yeah, so one of the really tricky things is taking the jQuery code and replacing it with Vue because it's usually, it's right now, the only way to really do it, what we discovered, is it's kind of an all-or-nothing approach. You can't replace some of the jQuery with some view because view like takes over a DOM element. You say like L is this DOM element, so you can't just say like okay, I'm going to pull out some jQuery and replace it with view. You have to just like <laughs> like so if we're going to take the merge request widget, we have to replace the entire freaking merge request widget. We can't just replace some of it. So what we've been doing is we've actually made several. <laughs> single page applications within the page. So several view elements within the page because like we pull out what we can, but other stuff we have to keep it. We can't, you know, we have to keep the scope of our work really, really small so that it's actually doable. And this is something that we can really solve. So we just recently replaced the entire merge request widget, which has, I think, 21 different states of a merge can be in conflict and it could be unable to be merged and all these different things. So that little tiny widget, you know, I think it took us three months just to replace the widget in view, just because there were so many different states that you wind up having to figure out. Now, what we also did is like the sidebar, where you can change the assignee, change the time tracking, all that stuff. Each one of those is a major feature. So you can't just like replace the whole sidebar in one fell swoop. So what we wound up doing is each component in the sidebar is a view app right now. And then it won't be hard to just like make the whole sidebar one giant view app. But we, we, So 
right now, the assignees, which we made into multiple assignees, does it as a view app, but uh, and the time tracking is a view app, but the subscriber is still a jQuery thing because you gotta replace stuff with the time that you have. You know, you're not. Yeah, it, it works. So let's not you know break it as much as we possibly can. That's really interesting too, because when you you talked about the whole junior developer problem, when you're like, oh, here's a hot new framework or a hot new library, I need to use this for everything. Realistically, you can't really halt development on a product that has like probably at this point like millions of users. You have to continue to move forward. So I think approaching it like separating each one of these view apps into view apps, I think it's it's more clear to have an end game. Like one day, I, I think you guys are kind of a sold on view at the moment, where you're going to be one day you will be 100 percent view. I guess if that's the goal. So where are you guys at now as far as uh, if you could put a percentage on how much jQuery code is out or how much view compared to jQuery is there in that? So it's kind of depressing to think about, but at the same time, it's also very exciting. You could say, okay, we're going to replace everything with view at some point. But the truth is we probably won't. And there isn't a good reason to do that. And jQuery isn't like a bad tool. It's like suddenly everybody's like, ew, Jake. That's not what it actually is. It's it's very, very good. And there's this idea that like you should just remove jQuery as a dependency. But I don't know if you've ever tried to remove jQuery. Like all the browsers support it and we still support IE11. But even if we didn't support IE11, it's not that you can't do it. It's just that it's a huge pain in the butt to do all those things. You basically wind up, okay, so you'll wind up writing this little tiny library that does all these little things. And then what you wind up doing is writing jQuery, except you're not going to write it as good because jQuery has been around for a million years. So we're going to keep jQuery around. Now, in terms of the percentages, we rewrote a bunch of stuff in Vue, but we still have a tremendous, our, I don't know if you know, GitLab has a tremendous amount of features. It has like a ton of features and we're rolling out new features every month. So all new features as they warrant it are written in Vue. And it's rare to find something that doesn't need to be written in Vue. But most things are written in view. And then as we see, we're taking something that if we want to make it real time, for example, we'll rewrite it in view. So I don't know a percentage. It's really hard to put a percentage on it. Yeah. Uh, but the issue boards, the merge request widget, and now we're going to, the next big thing is to take all the comments because the comments are now in real time. Uh, editing them is in real time. We can actually make, like, if you think of Reddit, it seems like not a big deal but they have 5,000 comments on a page. To have that many DOM elements on the page, if any event listener is attached to every single one of the, you know, it's gonna slow down the thing. So we can tremendously speed up the comments section just by adding view to that because of the virtual DOM and things like that. You know, how do you get 5,000 comments on the page without the page like freezing and getting janky? It's it's a tricky thing. That touches on something that it kind of seems like it's been a theme in, in what you guys have uh said and written about Vue so far, which is that it really seems a lot more than other frameworks, like it's designed to be able to coexist with those kind of older code bases. Uh, do you feel like that's a an advantage that's particular to Vue versus other front-end frameworks? It is a huge advantage. One of the main reasons I love Vue so much is it doesn't give a crap what you do. It's like, here's what you have to work with, take it or leave it. It shows you how you can integrate jQuery, because like, uh, like a lot of people use Select2, which is a drop-down jQuery library, or Chosen or Selectize. Those are like the really popular ones. You're not going to like suddenly replace all those things if you've been using them for a million years and you wrote all this custom stuff to make it like sort cities or whatever you're doing. So like why would you suddenly replace that? That's silly. Instead, you can make it uh, an actual view component 
so that it's easier to use those jQuery things because you're going to, you're going to use them. Like real life, you don't have the time and you don't need to spend the time to rewrite everything. It's just silly. It's, so that's the great thing about Vue. It doesn't give a crap and it's going to help you continue to use the things that you're using. Not to say that you should keep bad code in there. If there's bad code, you know, you should rewrite it, but it's just really fantastic in that way. Cool. And how is Vue um, comparison to like community-wise? I know two years ago, if you looked at the React community, they were pretty sparse and it was mainly more of like a Bay Area thing. But now it's, that's way different. Like, how is the Vue community today? Where do you guys could find help and stuff like that? Right. So if you look at what Evan Yu wrote, I think he wrote a Quora article. He said, if you look at Silicon Valley companies alone, you probably won't find any high-profile Vue usage because those people tend to rally behind like Facebook and Google and things that are validated with Facebook and Google. And really, when we adopted it, it was relatively new. But you could tell... You know, when I read through the source, because I of, of all the choices, you know, I was going through and making, I read through all the source code of everything. You know, I read through the source code of React. I read through the source code of Mithril. And I really loved Mithril. I was like, oh, man, I wish we could use Mithril. It's just, it looks horrible to write. It just looks so horrible. But it's so fast. You know, you could really get, like, huge performance out of that. But you have to, like, balance this stuff. It has to, like, you know, if you're putting it in an open source thing, you want people to contribute. And so, you know, I wanted people to contribute to GitLab and it's like, okay, so I have to have something that looks good in there. So you're not going to find a ton of people using it right now, although I think it's going to explode once people realize like, hey, this is like really, really easy. And this is just like takes the grunt work out of a lot of things. There's not a lot to learn. You can just like look at the docs for like two seconds and start writing stuff. There's bad ways to write view because it's so ambiguous in some ways. It's not super ambiguous, but in some ways it's ambiguous. So there's ways to write bad view code. But yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, now we're paving the way, for us at least, and if other people want to follow, like what is good view code? What is like the the standard of view code? So if you look at our docs, we have documentation on how to write view. We didn't make it a, a GitHub thing like Airbnb wrote their JavaScript style guide. We didn't do it like that. But we're writing style guides and we've written style guides on Vue. And what's the best way to write Vue? Don't do this, do this, and here's why. And every time we get burned, we're just like, okay, write it in the documentation. Where is that documentation at? If you look in the GitLab docs under the JavaScript stuff, under the front end stuff, you'll see it. There's a whole section on Vue. And we've been really, like, one of our biggest things is to document everything. And so our documentation is huge, and it's, you know, we try and be as complete as possible. So that's in one of those regards. Because new front-end devs will come in, and they'll be like, okay, Vue, I've written Vue before, and then they'll just do something completely different. We want all of our Vue code to look the same. You know, like, it's like one person wrote it. The project I work on um, is really focused on uh, open-source contributions. And one of the difficulties I've noticed uh, with using React has been that you kind of have to work pretty hard to keep your tooling in check and make sure you know it's going fast and it's everything's working the way it's supposed to. So I, I, I kind of wonder if uh, Vue's approachability, and that's particularly bad with the tooling, it can be really hard for, especially people who are new to JavaScript, to get into it because there's a huge amount of front-loaded work to start using React the way it, you're supposed to use it. And it kind of seems like Vue's approachability might do a lot to make up for what might be a smaller community by being more approachable to bring somebody new into the code base. Uh, have you seen it affect your open source contributions at all, the level of uh, activity there? Yeah, so 
in terms of React's approachability and Vue's approachability, React has gotten so much better. I remember like I started using it like when it was first announced, like the very beginning that I was like, what is this? Because in the very beginning, it was really hard. You were like, what, yeah. what do you do with this? What is it for? Uh, but now it's just like, it's really easy. But it does have, it has a curve, has a learning curve to it. And Vue's learning curve is less, in my opinion. Well, I'll tell you something that's really funny, which is just like hilarious, is that especially in the very beginning when we first announced the Vue stuff and we decided on it, I wrote the article and that was great. Every, like I'd say it was like once a month or so, a contributor would write a huge contribution and it would all be in React. And there you see in the Rails application.js, they just added that one line that adds React in there. I'm like, you can't, <laughs> we're not using React right now. I mean, I love React, it's wonderful, but we're just not using it. We're not going to have Vue and React in here. And every once in a while, someone would just try and sneak in React in there, which is just really funny. And we, of course, we're like, okay, I'm sorry, but we really have to reject all this wonderful code you wrote because they wrote the whole thing in React, thousands of lines and all that stuff. So that's the thing. There is a lot of tooling around Vue. One of the things that people are learning about more is the testing. The testing is a little, it's not that it's tricky. It's just that it's not as well known how to properly test uh, view. So that's something that we've done a deep dive into. And, you know, you have Vuex and you have Vue Router and all this stuff. But I found that you really don't need a whole lot just to make Vue work. You can just use Vue on its own. And if you follow the docs, it has like guidelines on how to make a huge app. And it's very productive in that way. So you don't need a whole lot to make it work. As far as Vue and I know ViewConf is coming up. And by the time this episode comes out, it actually will be after ViewConf. So if you missed that, you should definitely check out the videos because I'm pretty sure the videos will be out by the time this podcast comes out. But are there any other companies that have, I guess, uh, I, I don't know, bite the bullet? I don't know if that's the right term, but taking the chance on Vue that you know of? I've talked to a couple. So I've been talking with a guy from Codeship who has like by himself taken uh, Vue on as like a major thing and he looked at like, this is how we're going to test and this is how we're going to do this. And so I've been talking with him. His name is Roman Kuba. He is going to be speaking at the VUE conference along with me. So uh, I know that there's a couple other companies that have taken on every relatively small at this point. It's been like the best decision. We haven't like it's never been a sticking point. It's never been a pain point. It's always been like a very productive point in our structure, even though it's still a small thing. And even though not everybody's using it. You know, it's sometimes you just have to be backed by Google or Facebook and then everybody's like, oh my gosh, it must be amazing. You know, but it's still just been absolutely fantastic. As far as like uh, hiring and onboarding, do you guys, because you've been a couple months and I'm sure you've hired somebody since on the front end team possibly. How is their, their uh, I guess, getting up to speed with Vue? Yeah, so most of the people we hire don't necessarily know Vue, but as long as they know, a lot of them know React and uh, still use React and a lot of them know, like, it's good to just know, like, kind of a cornucopia of different front-end frameworks. As long as you get the gist of, like, front-end frameworks in general, Vue is not very hard. Now, they all get Vue. Sometimes it's harder to get everybody to write Vue in the same way to make sure that we're all making the same decisions. That's a little trickier. We've written linters for that so that, because we have tests that run every time you make a merge request. We have linters that stop people from writing certain code. So your test will actually fail, which is really great when you're trying to get people to write everything in the same way. 
within GitLab, within the front end team, we have a couple of people that we've designated as like the view, like the view team that help decide on all things view because there's decisions that you can make and there's decisions to be made. So we have about uh, three or four people that write the view documentation and make the view choices. And if it's someone's first time with view, then we make sure that for the first week, every day they meet and they say, what's your direction you're going? Because you can go in any direction. You could just really take off with view. And so we just want to make sure that in that first week of coding that they're constantly, like they go this way, we push them this way. They go this way, we push them, you know, just keep them on that line of the direction that we want them to go. Um, and it's not that their code is bad or good. It's just that we want to keep it going in that same direction. So we have people that are kind of holding hands and uh, making sure. And then after a couple of weeks, they get it and they just like take off and they go in that direction every time. Cool. And uh, Ben, did you have any follow-up questions? Uh, yeah, I was just curious. Was there anything that you really found more difficult with you? You know, just stuff that was uh, felt like it should be different? No. And I think that the testing is just really tricky because to do the testing, you have to know more of the internals. And you can't just read like the gist of the document. You really have to get the internals down a lot better. And I think that will improve over time. I know that there's some work to get view in line with GraphQL and stuff like that, because people are going to start using GraphQL a lot more. I know we're going to at least be checking it out. So the question is, how does view work with GraphQL? You know, React is made with Relay. It's like made. They're like made to work that way. So it's like kind of an automatic plugin thing. So things like that are a little trickier, but everything else has just been, you know, very copacetic. Yeah, I actually just before this call earlier today, I was actually messing around with um, LearnApollo.org. Yes, they have a, a Vue.js um, example. Now every other example has like a step by step how to build it. The Vue example is just an app you can look at with the code. So one is super simplistic. Yeah, so I definitely could use some PRs on there. It's open source project for how to use Vue and with GraphQL, but. I was actually tinkering with that because I'm I'm pretty uh, heavy on the GraphQL at the moment. Yeah, that's the cool thing. It's like when Swift came out. I remember the first day that Swift came out, I was like, okay, how do I do this? And I start looking on Stack Overflow. I'm like, wait, there's nothing to look at. It just came out today. But then there was nothing there, of course. Yeah. And then the questions started coming in. It was about, but, you know, honestly, this is like so much simpler because it's like the answers are there. And if you read the documentation, like most of what you need to know is there. I would say just the testing stuff is a little trickier. But also it's cool because, you know, we get to pave the way and say, like, this is how we're going to do it. And we'll make a good decision. We have a lot of really good, really excellent front end engineers and they get the gist. They get the big picture and we can kind of pave the way for Vue in that way. Cool. Well, Jacob, thanks for coming on and talking about Vue and GitLab and getting everybody up to speed of what you guys have been doing since uh, that blog post came out. I'm going to transition us into uh, picks. So these are jam picks. Anything you've been jamming on that gets you going uh, could be code related, food, entertainment, what have you. So since I am the host, I will go first and give you guys a chance to uh, get up your links and uh, refresh yourselves. But uh, my first pick is the Bay Area Discovery Museum. So I'm in the Bay Area. I don't know if I told you that, Jacob, beforehand, but here in Oakland, California. And I have a small child, and there's actually this Discovery Museum. It's basically a children's museum, and it's really awesome. There's like right underneath the, the Golden Gate Bridge is like where all the, not Fort Baker, it's the other side of the bridge, but there's a, like a fort where there's like housing, and they've converted some of that into an actual museum. We have a lot of like hands on stuff. You got art projects, and they have a Daniel Tiger 
exhibit that's going until September, which is pretty awesome. And my son's a huge fan. So I highly recommend if you are in the Bay Area, check that out. It's kind of pricey, even for Bay Area residents. It's like 20 bucks uh, for adults and like 13 for kids. But they do have a, a yearly uh, membership where you can just pay a lot more money and just go for like unlimited amount of time. So definitely check that out. Uh, my second pick is outside. I also I just want to remind we were talking about code t- today, but uh, remind everybody to go outside. Um, we've had some really good weather here in the Bay Area last week and the week before. Uh, so don't forget to get your vitamin D and do something outside. And then finally, the serverless docs and Gitter. I just want to pick that and shout that out. Episode four of this podcast, we had uh, David from Serverless talk about serverless here, which is the framework to do uh, Lambda and Azure and OpenWIS functions as a service. I finally got into the, the app I talked about, which is the app to tell you when there's a home baseball game to avoid public transportation. I kind of mentioned it, that I built it every year, every baseball season. So essentially, the ba- I, I just need to know when there's a baseball game so I can just avoid the city those days. Uh, I finally got around to building that app and started using serverless to do it and needed the documentation and stuff like that in the Gitter channel. So they're super helpful around there if you have questions about DynamoDB or Lambda or even like Azure and OpenWhisk, people are always around um, the chat about serverless stuff. So check that out if you haven't done that yet. And Jacob, did you have any picks for us? Yeah, so lately I, I love to explore all the new languages that are out there, and I want to make sure I learn them all. <laughs> so lately I've been uh, taking a look at Kotlin. Is that how you pronounce it? It's one of those words I've never heard pronounced. Yeah, like I've heard Kotlin, Kotlin. as well. I'm, I haven't heard it spoken like in, in real life. Right, I've only so. seen it written, right, exactly. So yeah, I've been taking a look at that, even though I've always wanted to write Java without Java. So uh, anything that compiles to the JVM, I've been taking a look at that. Yeah, I think you're not alone with all the other JVM languages out right, there. Clearly there's a need uh, that needs to be filled there. So that's one of the languages that I've been looking at recently and just taking a deep dive into that and the cool stuff that you can do with the web and there's the Spark, Java Spark, not the Apache Spark micro framework that it has. So I've been taking a look at that and it's really, really neat and the language itself is fantastic. Unfortunately, I think you still need to know Java pretty well in order to, like you need to know that whole Java ecosystem to get uh, started on that, unfortunately. And then the other thing, I'm a big environmentalist myself and I like to make sure that I'm not polluting. So I'm always trying to find ways that I can like not use my car. So recently uh, I've been trying to learn as much electrical engineering as I possibly can. So I learned how to uh, solder and I've been learning how to weld. I got a a big MIG welding machine. And so I've been, uh, I made my first electric skateboard and I've been using that to try and commute around on that. It gets, uh, on each charge, it gets uh, about 12 miles, which is pretty good. So that's 12 miles that I don't have to drive in a car. And you get the fresh wind in your face and all that stuff. So that's been uh, really great. Wait, did you, uh, did you find like plans somewhere to how, to, how to build this? Or did you just... No, I just kind of went for it. <laughs> it was, it was uh, I wound up using like the battery pack was just sitting on the Velcro on the bottom of the board. And I was like, I got to keep, so I got a Tupperware and I stapled the Tupperware to the bottom of the board. And it, you know, that some of it was a little uh, rough around the edges, but the rest of it was really, really great. So I'll have to see if I can put some plans together about how to do that. So now I'm on my next my next version of the skateboard, which is uh, it's using these big 12 inch pneumatic tires. Okay. So that it's a nice it rides like a Cadillac. It's so smooth. It's it's amazing. So, wow. I'm sure you get a lot of like second looks. Oh yeah, uh, yeah definitely a lot of looks. 
Yeah, if you uh, get around to doing a blog post or tweet that out, I'd love to see uh, pictures of that. Yeah, I feel like every programmer should learn electrical engineering. It's like that other thing that we probably don't know how to do. Yeah. So that's it for me. Cool. And then, Ben, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. So first I'm going to plug my absolute favorite radio station of all time. It's a local Portland jazz station. If you're in Portland, it's 89.1 FM. And if you're not, you can listen to it online, which I do pretty much 24-7 at opb.org slash kmhd. It's pretty much the best. Um, and the other thing was Node version 8 came out today. And there's a really cool addition, which is util.promisify. And basically... If you're somebody like me who writes a lot of Node scripts without any pre-processing, you've had to import a dependency in order to get promises in the Node standard library. Well, uh, util.promisify will just take any of the Node standard library or anything that takes callbacks and just promisify the whole library. So you don't have to use dependencies for that anymore, which I'm really excited about. Cool. Yeah, I was actually coding yesterday trying to find out about Node 8 and if it was coming out because I wanted to make sure I was using the latest and greatest. And I was like, ah. I saw a tweet like it's coming soon, but it wasn't out. So it's good to hear. I didn't see that come through the wire yet. Well, guys, thanks for coming on, talking about Vue and GitLab and this jamming out with me. Jacob, hopefully, we'll see you around. I'm looking forward to seeing your talk. And then, Ben, again, thanks again. And keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 